Welcome to the Bounty Zero X podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Adam, founder and CEO of Bounty Zero X. Bounty Zero X is a decentralized bounty hunting network powered by the BNTY token. Today is October 9th, 2018, and my guest on the show is Adam Simmons. Adam is executive management and co-founder at Veracity.io. For the last eight years, he's worked with online video, including global sports, uh, esports publishing, and he's an expert with content management and online marketing. Veracity is a protocol providing the infrastructure and tools required to build a, a new online video experience. So Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on. So we're really excited about Veracity. It sounds like a great platform and has a lot of interesting features. Uh, so it's similar to YouTube or other online video platforms, but it's unique because it has some interesting economic models for monetizing and for both listeners and content creators. So why don't you just give us a brief intro on what Veracity is and how it works? Yeah, so Veracity is a, a video protocol um, and essentially it's looking to solve a lot of the infrastructure and technology pieces that any online business that's dealing with video need, needs to accomplish. So that's really comes down to four main components for Veracity and what we're doing. There's Veripay, which is a blockchain decentralized based system for micropayments, for donations, pay-per-view, subscriptions that really allows a content creator um, to monetize their audience directly and their audience to um, pay for content that way. The second component is something we call proof of view. Um, that's actually something we've got a patent pending on. And proof of view really looks to use the blockchain to create immutable, accurate and secure audience metrics around video. And that tackles everything from online advertising to how recommendation engines work um, to ad fraud and bots and fake news. The third component is something we call the Spark Marketplace, and that is essentially a smart contract system that allows people who enjoy content to essentially stake their Vero tokens into a channel and then receive a portion of the future revenue of that channel in return. And that smart contract is then tradable in the future. And then the final component is really a big infrastructure piece, which is we have our own online video platform, um, which is kind of powering Vero Player. And the Vero Player Again, it's not peer-to-peer -peer based, it's still server-based, so it still has a global delivery network, meaning great quality for anyone trying to come in and watch, and underpins a lot of the other features as well, Obviously, so you need to be able to access that content. Now, with the Veracity Protocol, those are the four main applications. Each of those are, are modular, each of those uh, can be taken by a, a third party. So as you mentioned, one example is someone could build a, a YouTube-style application onto the protocol um, that allows video sharing. Equally, large international media broadcasters might want to just taste, say, the proof of view or the Veripay system and incorporate it into their own OVP. So really, it's a lot of flexibility for many different use cases. And our fundamental goal is just to supercharge online video with blockchain technology, where it can solve a lot of the problems that the industry as a whole is facing today, both from the consumer, the creator and the advertiser side. So tell me about the history of Veracity. When did you guys start working on it? And uh, tell me a little bit about the process of building the white paper and deciding to pursue this idea. Yeah, so we started Veracity really looking at it over 18 months ago now. And that was a lot of the team we've worked together on 
various other projects in the past. So I've been heavily involved in online video and, and content creation. We've some of our dev team have been experts on kind of the OBP side and really building some fundamental stuff there. Uh, people such as Scott Brown and other of our executive management team is used to work for Octoshape and then at Akamai, which is a global CDN business, um, really tackling a lot of these problems. And what we saw, we've, we've had a lot of team being in the tech space, very aware of blockchain and the innovations going on here. And a lot of the problems that we saw our separate companies and separate businesses doing and trying to solve, actually, a lot of those could be solved with blockchain technology. And it was about 18 months ago that we all sat down and said, hey, this is really a point now where each one of these components, if we could fix, would be a big deal. But actually, we've got the skill set, the technology to be able to solve the entire system in, in one neat package. And doing that really opened up a lot of doors and a lot of opportunities that, that we're really executing on now. So I'm curious your thoughts on the current events unfolding relating to uh, censorship of online content. And this is a, a relevant topic and it affects potentially your guys' uh, platform because you have the development uh, of these large publishers or content creators like content platforms like Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. And they're in the news. I'm sure you're aware of this uh, recently for banning certain members of their platform for violating their content policies. So taking down or demonetizing YouTube channels. So it seems like there's a trend happening in the online video space and Twitter space or Facebook or social media space where content creators are having to find other platforms or you know change their content in order to avoid being uh, demonetized, especially with political speech. So I'm curious about what your guys's your platform's outlook is on this because some platforms have uh some there's some video platforms which are p2p so like bitshoot for example or um, cmit type of youtube video platforms where there there's not a central host but from what i understand your guys's platform is centrally hosted so i'm curious what your thoughts are on that yeah, so that's a, a really really big discussion piece so um i'll try and break it down into a couple of different components so first up, you're talking about the, the demonetization issue. So obviously, uh, it's about two and a half years ago now was the, the adpocalypse on YouTube. I think the, the media were talking about and all of that was down to a, a big brand safety issue that a lot of advertisers were spending money online and they weren't really aware of what their ads were being shown before. And the entire monetization system of YouTube for anyone who's unaware is a revenue share of those adverts between the content creator and YouTube. So if the adverts aren't showing for whatever reason, it causes a problem. Now, from the perspective of actually that dynamic, it's it's a very difficult dynamic to solve. So if you look at something like YouTube, it gets between four and 500 hours of video uploaded every single minute. That is an astonishing amount of content and unfathomable to be able to have someone watch all of that to make sure it's brand safe. So the utilization of algorithms and AI from the, from the YouTube side try to tackle that, but then you run into issues like false positives and what is brand safe, what isn't brand safe, what should be allowed. So the, the first fundamental we, move we made there to tackle that problem is just shifting the different participants is that in a traditional video monetization system, obviously with pre-roll video ads as the primary source, the advertiser sits in between the viewer and the creator. And that intermediary position is quite strained because the viewer doesn't get benefits from watching the ads directly. The creator needs the ads to happen, but is ultimately just trying to serve their viewers. Now, there are some in the space who've taken the approach of, hey, adverts are evil, we should get rid of them. Now, while that in, in principle can 
can resonate with some people. The issue with that is that advertising is what powers the internet so far. It's the free internet is powered by, by advertising and it's a multi-billion dollar market. So we just thought actually with those advertisers, maybe they're just in the wrong position. Their interaction is predominantly between themselves and the consumer viewer. So that's the first move we made is the advertisement is opt-in. The viewer, if they want to watch it, can, and they get rewarded in return for watching that advertisement. And it has no reflect on the content. And so by separating in that away from the content, that solves the brand safety issue. You're then not having to say, hey, is my advert going before a PewDiePie video I don't like? Because it's a completely separate entity. Then you run into the issue of you've got to monetize the content. Now, what we what we know from global trends is is ad block usage of forced ads is increasing, especially in um, certain demographics. So millennials, um, 18 to 35, Western world is, is hugely, hugely up and, and only growing. Now, with that, there's also been the evolution of, of kind of audience monetization. So tools such as Patreon is a, a great example. Now, many of these tools have been increasing in their success, but the difficulty is still quite a big barrier that for most people, microtransactions is, is really what they're looking for in content. Because when you're when you're watching, I'm not sure about you, there's there's YouTube videos I like, but the, the mental barrier of going, do I like that YouTuber enough to go onto a separate platform to put my credit card details in to set up a $10 a month recurring payment versus would I give him a, a little microtransaction tip every time I watch one of his videos? Now, for some creators, that subscription model works. For some, the donation model works. For some, a pay-per-view model will work. And what we're trying to do at Veracity is really enable all of those different systems. And that allows content to be funded if there is a demand for it. So uh, an example I always like using is that if you think of a a funny fail video um, or a cat video or whatever, it's going to generate millions and millions of views. It will give you a little chuckle. It's not something you're going to want to spend 10 bucks on, but you might give it a, a microtransaction tip. Whereas on the other hand, if someone is doing a cryptocurrency technical analysis on trading, that's an hour long video to some people, that's hugely valuable. They they could be trading on that. They could be getting an, an awful lot of uh, return on investment. And while that audience isn't going to necessarily be millions upon millions of people watching that video, those that do may be willing to pay on a pay-per-view basis a lot more money to access that uh, information. So from a monetization perspective, we're just giving the options to really have all of that. Now, the third piece is obviously on the censorship, on the fake news issue that is really plaguing social networks right now. It's a very, very difficult subject, and there's really two elements to it. So the first is the the genuine views and the authenticity. Right now, that is completely centralized. So when you see a video on Facebook or a post on Facebook and it's got a million views, that's what Facebook is telling you. It's a black box. No one knows where those views came from, whether it was all um, manipulated, where there was seeded content. Um, and that's really where we've seen a lot of the problems on the kind of the, the fake news side come. So our proof of view technology really looks to decentralize that. And so there's this immutable ledger that actually verifies those views were real. They were manipulated. They weren't suspicious in any way. And um, obviously anonymous data would be on there. So you wouldn't know what say you watched specifically. Um, but you can see patterns and trends of things that look suspicious. So that already tackles that. Now, on the other side of the coin, as I mentioned with the demonetization, there's the brand safety side of um, what some people are calling censorship, where it's about monetization. The step beyond that is about whether they want it on their platform. Now, ultimately, that, that can still lead into the, the monetization side, that if you're primarily an ad-funded service, advertisers do have a lot of power in that, that scenario of what they do and do not want. 
Now, one approach in the blockchain space that others such as those you've mentioned are looking at is a completely peer-to-peer distribution network that in theory eliminates any chance of censorship. Now, we didn't go for that approach for, for two primary reasons. The first reason is just the ability to scale that system and deliver. Um, P2P video on a global basis is is very difficult, even when you're looking at hugely popular content. Anyone who has ever tried to use a, a torrent or something like that will know that if there aren't enough seeds, you, you can't download it. Now, if you're trying to serve a very small amount of content that has a lot of people trying to access, that system works great. If you're trying to upload your own home video and the only person seeding it is on the other side of the world to you, and you're trying to access it on a mobile 3G connection, getting that as a good quality video is, is going to be difficult. So you end up getting censorship based on popularity of content and a hierarchy of content rather than equally distributing that you can through servers. Now, the secondary issue is is the moderation of the platform. Now, in a completely unmoderated environment, be that P2P or, or anything, is yes, in, in principle, it cannot be censored by anyone. The The issue is, is that as Many people know there are plenty of IP infringing sites or sites covering terrorist uh, content or any any form of illegal illegal content that get blocked at a ISP level for an entire country. So our balance was very much of how can we make sure that we're creating a protocol and a system that that minimizes the outside influence. So as things like brand safety concerns while also making sure that the system as a whole is protected against global government level um, blocks. So a very good example of that is where this this happened quite interestingly was a few years ago, anyone who uses the website Reddit, they they brought in a stricter moderation terms, uh, partly to deal with some issues that their advertisers had raised about the the type of content that was was being viewed there. It caused a spin-off site that said, hey, we're not going to have any rules. And it got really big for a couple of weeks Um <laughs> And then fizzled out because the only people posting there were posting things that were either completely illegal, they were uh, grossly offensive to, to most people. And so it propagates that. So you need to balance that environment. And the way we're balancing it with veracity is, is very simple. The content that is distributed through the veracity protocol um, and through our systems has to be legal in the region that it's being viewed. And that's a very black and white system that if it's if it's illegal, we obviously can't facilitate it because it risks the entire network. And even no matter how decentralized we got, it, there are so many barriers that, for example, national ISP blocks on a domain can be put in that prevent people from being able to access it. And while it's easy, to, or not easy, but while it is possible to get around those things, it's a big barrier for mainstream adoption. On the inverse side, we obviously want to make sure that we are as insulated as possible from external factors influencing what content's available there, and specifically gray area. That's the big thing is where it's a very subjective question of what content should be allowable. And that's, again, because of the the switches that we've made um, in terms of the monetization model and how the different participants interact, that's something that we're heavily insulated from. Yeah, I mean, I find it just extremely fascinating how the technical challenges of moderating large quantities of content. So, for example, Facebook or YouTube, there there's thousands and thousands of new posts being made every minute or every second. And there are so many different ways to moderate that, either through machine learning or just manual moderation. Facebook, from what I understand, has a team of over 16,000 individual folks located in, I think, the Philippines. 
whose sole job is to review large quantities of flagged content and to decide whether or not to pull it down for infringing on Facebook's policies or to leave it up. But I mean, due to the fact that Facebook has billions of users that are constantly uploading new content, I mean, the, the sheer quantity of flagged content that needs to be reviewed, then, you know, a portion of that can be reviewed or at least screened initially for, for violations through like machine learning and AI. But a large part of that, from what I understand, still has to go through uh, manual human checks. And so, I mean, that's just a, a huge human resources challenge. And then also there's the challenge of like defining what technically is a violation of their rules and, and what isn't uh, a violation. And, and that can become, you know, all, also really complicated. So Facebook, for just to give an example, had their policy with, with uh, pornographic content and, you know, not showing any nudity on the platform. And then from what I understand, you know, an interest group of women doing breastfeeding of their children, you know, lobbied the companies seeking to amend the company's policies to allow women breastfeeding uh, under the uh, argument that, well, that's not really pornographic content or that's not nudity. It should be allowed. And so, you know, in response to that, Facebook then amended the policies, allowed the content, but then it's a question of then what is, you know, allowed and what is not allowed. And I think the, the complexity of those rules is constantly developing and they're having to frequently amend those rules in order to cover different corner cases. So it becomes extremely, uh, you know, economically expensive and a huge consumption of, you know, uh, monetary resources to be constantly updating these rules and Developing it's also, rules for as, as you said, it's also incredibly difficult to create those rules. So it's why I mentioned about the demonetization and the brand safety piece is that that content, uh, your example is great of, of breastfeeding. Uh, is it nudity? Well, nudity and, and pornographic content in itself in, in most geolocations around the world is not illegal. The primary driver of Facebook's decision to not allow that content is obviously what their advertising partners want to be seen against. It's why if you go to a, an adult site, the, the quality of adverts, shall we say, uh, are not your premium brands. <laughs> um, it's probably a, a polite way of saying that. Whereas obviously on Facebook, they're targeting uh, top brands, so your Coca-Colas, your British Airways, etc., who don't want to show against that sort of content. And that creates a very difficult dynamic because what what Red Bull are willing to show their con their or advertise against is going to be difficult to what a a global bank may be willing to do or a new startup um, extreme sports brand etc. So you're balancing multiple competing demands. Whereas one of the things we're doing with Veracity is by changing that monetization structure, we're we're taking that intermediary role of the advertiser and, and moving it off to the side, which doesn't restrict that influx of, of money and capital into the economy, but it does remove their influence on the content that's being distributed. Yeah. And then you, you do, you de, you decentralize the decision making process on the rules. Now, the reason we, we drew the line on the moderation policy very much on the content has to be legal because that, that framework is, is genuinely or generally quite black and white. Um, there are obviously gray areas within, within legal frameworks. That's, that's the nature of it. But for the most part, if IP infringing content, for example, there is a 
no doubt that that could drive a, a very high number of users. However, it does threaten the entire economy if you are building on that. So, for example, Mega Upload is a great example of that. Um, it was a hugely popular system, um, but or the Pirate Bay. It's funded on or it's primarily focused on infringing content, which does cause issues because it's illegal content and it gets blocked and it gets stops users being able to as easily access it and more barriers in the way, which stops adoption, which stops the growth of that business and ultimately the economy if you're building a token on it. And so that was our primary balance is how do we ensure the most decentralized and open platform available without putting the entire economy and our token holders at risk? And the the legality role is the clearest way to, to do that. It's not our decision of what we want on the platform. It's just what is, if it is legal, it can be on there. And then it's up to the users if they want to to fund that. And ultimately, mm-hmm. if it is the users funding it, the platform and, and content will evolve that way. So there's, in, the, in this type of ecosystem, there are the three primary stakeholders are the, the viewers of the content, the content creators, and then the advertisers. Correct. And so in the typical model, I think you cite that is only around 30 cents on every dollar is received by the creators and the remaining 70 cents goes to the platform and other uh, third parties. And so one of your guys' goals is to increase the share of revenue that goes from the advertisers to the content creators. So how do you guys, uh, how are you planning to do that? So one of the ways is through our the pattern we've got on pending on proof of view is the audience metric. So that's a, a big system that eats up a, a lot of the value within online advertising. Verification tools, checking for bot traffic, making sure that it, the advert was actually viewed so it's authentic. That that eats up a big portion of revenue. Obviously, as you said, the the huge manpower and um, resources required to make sure content is brand safe and check all of that. All of these systems cost money, and the businesses have to balance that with their long term goals. Now. In terms of actually the creators, you, you run into other issues as well. So looking at something like like YouTube, anyone can go and upload content. Now, even if that doesn't get views, store, uploading, transcoding, storing that content costs YouTube money. And it may never make that money back because it's not suitable for advertising or it hasn't been flagged for advertising or the channel can't be monetized. So there's there's multiple issues that are, are revenue drains. And increasingly on the revenue generation side, the advertisers are getting a lot more uh, strict on what content they're willing to be shown against. And actually that that varies from advertiser to advertiser. And it is something that as a creator can be very difficult to try and understand. And it's it's a very difficult challenge. So by moving the monetization directly between the viewer and creator, you you simplify that. It's up to the viewer to decide the value of that content rather than a third party and even ourselves as a platform. And that makes a combined with proof of view of actually seeing what audience metrics actually are and making that a lot more transparent, you end up in a system where you can really value content in a way that isn't isn't possible in the current economy of online video. And what is the share? I mean, what would you anticipate the the breakdown would be from a content creator in terms of the different revenue streams that they have on a, on a, on a video platform like uh, Veracity? And I probably would vary from for each channel or each content creator, like some content creators would earn more of their revenue from direct donations, uh, whereas other content creators would earn more through uh, having, I guess, more views. So how do you think that breakdown would look between, you know, percentage of total revenue for any given content creator on your guys' platform versus, you know, on some of the existing platforms like YouTube? Yeah, it's, 
It's a very tough question because it's incredibly subjective to what the creator is. So if you look at kind of the, the industry standard um, for advert monetization is around 50-50. For things like donations and subscriptions, it varies something like patrons at uh, 5% plus a 5% uh, transaction fee. Twitches for their subscription system is a 45-55 um, split. So there's, and that's for higher creators. Um, those systems vary very much across all the different different platforms. Now, when you're looking at how a creator monetizes, again, it, it really does vary depending on who it is. So someone like a, a makeup vlogger is going to be able to have their own makeup come in or makeup brands come in, want an affiliate program on there, want to be able to offer sales, whereas someone who's, say, a, a video game creator or, sorry, a video game streamer may only have advertising or may get a lot of donations or subscriptions. A DIY video may solely rely on on advertising. So these different monetization models, it's very difficult to say this is the best one because every bit of content is different. The way you would value and you would pay for a funny cat video is going to be different to the latest uh, blockbuster film release. Mm. And really what we're trying to do with Veracity is make sure that all of those models are viable <laughs> and we have the facilities in place to accommodate for those different monetization strategies on each individual content. So it's actually making sure that our platform is flexible to the creator and the creator is the business that is selling their content and has their own monetization strategy rather than us as a platform having a monetization strategy. Our goal is just to obviously cover those expenses. And so we're, we're looking at having a, a lot of different ways to, to run that. So again, as I said, a, a great example on YouTube is that anyone can sit there and upload. You can create a channel now and go and upload some content that has a cost to it. Now, it would be very, very difficult to to adjust that. Something like Vimeo is a pay-per-view system. So, oh, sorry, a pay-to-upload system. You've got to have a membership. That's also got problems. What we're looking to do is just facilitate all of those in a way that is very transparent and very easy for people to understand and be able to build upon. So if you are building a video sharing site using the Veracity Protocol, you can have a system that is going to be inherently different to how, say, a major international broadcaster who's putting a hit TV show they want to distribute online with setup or equally a big sports broadcaster um, would want to do more likely pay-per-view for a big sporting event. So those different applications on Veracity um, all have different models that we just really want to allow the flexibility for those systems to run based on each use case. So we haven't talked much about live streaming, which is becoming a new and uh, a highly profitable, but also popular way for content creators and people to create content. So a lot of the live streaming happens now on YouTube. They just recently added support for that and Twitter uh, and Periscope supports live streaming of content. And will Veracity have the plans to support that feature? And what are your thoughts overall on, on the live streaming? Yeah, so live streaming is, is a really interesting space. And from a from the Vera player and our OB online video platform space, um, that is something that we can support, we can do. What's really quite fascinating with live streaming is it brings 10x the benefits of video because of the live engagement side, as well as 10x the challenges it comes with. So being able to distribute live video in high quality formats is significantly more expensive than on-demand video, but equally it can be monetized better. So again, it's something that very much comes down to the strategy of the individual creator. We want to provide those tools. Those tools uh, need to be obviously sustainable. They and it is then up to the creator to to work out their monetization strategy. So uh, an absolutely fantastic example, um, just from my my own experience, Facebook obviously have Facebook Live, 
with very few exceptions, most of the time I, I get told by Facebook someone is live is they're walking their dog in the park or something with one person watching. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't have insider knowledge onto how Facebook um, intend to, how that feeds into their big system, but that's expensive. Delivering a 1080p live stream of someone walking their dog with one person watching is a loss leader, almost certainly. So you've got to have a system in place where you can balance that so that you aren't wrecking the the overall economy of the system by having a million people streaming to one person of walking their dog. And that's really something that in a token-based and decentralized economy, you can do very effectively because it's then not something that us as a platform is deciding what can and can't be done. It's just providing the tools through things like Veripay and, and decentralized um, payment options that actually it's down to the creator to work out if that's viable for them. And who knows what that could be? So a, a great example is nonprofits. You could be someone live streaming from a um, disaster relief area trying to raise awareness of something. You're not looking there for pay-per-view, <laughs> for example. I, I would highly doubt most people would look for pay-per-view there, but it could be looking to generate donations or it may not even be doing that. It could just be awareness. As a platform, we're trying to to really not get our nose into what each individual creator's strategy, commercial strategy is. It's just facilitating the tools to enable them to do that. So another interesting component of your guys' ecosystem is the um, the crowdfunding and the Spark Marketplace. So you mentioned this earlier briefly, but I'd like to spend some time talking about this because I'm, I, are you, I don't, as far as I know, there aren't any other platforms, video platforms, which have a, a marketplace which allows viewers to fund and in a, in a, almost like make a loan to a, a channel and then have a stake in that channel's uh, ongoing success. So the way that it works, uh, and maybe you can point out if there are any uh, things that I miss, is that a user who is a listener or a subscriber to a channel wants to uh, support the channel, but also earn something in return and they can then purchase a stake. And with that, they can receive uh, earnings or some type of uh, reward for having funded uh, the channel. And then, and then uh, is that a good uh, characterization? And maybe you can comment on that further. Yeah. So the, the spark marketplace is, we like to think of it as basically crowdfunding plus. So crowdfunding for a product is a very, very ingenious way of, of getting a product out. And it also, the value proposition is very clear. We want to produce this. If you like it, you can buy it now at a discounted rate, which gives us the funds to produce it and then sell for a profit. It's a very clear proposition. For, for content, it's a lot harder because even if uh, if you look at, say, a channel you like and they're trying to raise money to get a, a new computer or some new video software, you might chip them five bucks if you really like them. But again, it's it's a very slow process. You need a lot of five bucks to, to get that going, whereas um, most people, and again, there are exceptions to this, but most people aren't going to sit there and go, hey, I'm just going to give you a thousand bucks out of the goodness of my heart for the warm, fuzzy feeling. Now, the way that we've, we've seen some creators try and try and manage that is through tools like Patreon, where they give benefits. But those benefits are often very time consuming to to produce. The, the value per user can be very high um, for what you're able to give back to them. Now, with the Spark Marketplace, it's really just looking at actually not just the financial element of being able to support a channel that you like, but 
one, as you said, you get a reward back, but also it increases the connection to that creator. And that could be anything from, hey, um, say, for example, this podcast right now, if, if the listeners were going, hey, this is great. We want you to do more. We want you to have a studio or, or whatever. You could sit there and go, OK, guys, I if I want to build a studio and have star guests coming on and talking about blockchain, I can do that. But it's going to cost me this. You can then crowdfund that. And then anyone who puts in will get a share of the future earnings of that channel. So one, that means that obviously if it goes well, they're going to share in that financial success. But also it means that they're more likely to become a brand advocate. If you've got a stake in that channel, you're going to be promoting it. You're going to be telling your friends about it and saying, hey, come and check this out. I helped build this. Then that, that Vera Spark, that smart contract you own and you can then resell that on the marketplace later. So that's kind of the, the third avenue of that. Now from a creator side, it's, it's very easy to understand that from, as I, the example I used of say a, a podcast wanting to get a studio or a small bedroom vlogger wanting to get a new camera or editing software. But we see it really being able to go a lot bigger. My favorite example of this is, Imagine a, a canceled TV show you liked, um, be it a Firefly or or something similar. Imagine if the creators could fund that for a, for a big network at the moment. Um, they have so much B-roll pilot footage laying around that they just haven't done because there's only so much they can fund at any one time that they want to take the risk on. They're only going to take the top things that they think are going to be most profitable for them. If you can suddenly crowdsource that in a way that is viable and, and lets that that funding source also sharing the success. We think there's a very big opportunity there. Everything from yeah the bedroom broadcaster all the way up to uh, AAA premium content. So the, the token for the Spark marketplace is the Vera Spark. Yeah. And so then... the, the the you would purchase it um, with Vera. Um, however, the what you get back is basically a smart contract, and we just call the smart contract a Vera Spark in that channel. The the other interesting thing you can do though as well is it isn't necessarily only financially either. So uh, another great example is if you look at really successful uh, content creators on YouTube, for example, they typically fit a, a demographic of <laughs> in your late teens, early 20s. They make videos every day. As they transition beyond that, the role beyond just being that first content creator, actually with a system of smart contracts where you could take a stake in a channel, they could sit there and say, hey, I'm going to find 10 up and coming really good channels I like, and I'm going to get a, a Vera Spark in each of those channels and I'll promote them. And then you start getting this kind of organic multi-channel network and they could have Vera Sparks in each other's channels to cross-promote and you build this natural growth of an economy just in the same way as you'd see in kind of a typical small business environment in a in a local town or something as they all support each other as the water level rises, all boats rise too. So you can have very interesting scenarios like that. Um, likewise, you can have bigger studios looking to support kind of smaller indie studios with some funding, knowing that all of the commercial arrangements, all of the revenue sharing and everything else is all handled through these smart contracts. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting. It reminds me similar to like the basic attention token, but which is relating to the browsers. So the Brave browser and the basic attention token. Where they held, uh, where they let you monetize, uh, your, the websites that you view by, uh, having a token. And then there's like Steam and that's, you know, like the tokenized Reddit in, in a sense or tokenized publishing platform. So it used some of those same, you know, economic incentives, uh, for the listeners and the, the viewers of the content to monetize. So is, is it similar in that sense to Brave where you're, Let's say I'm viewing a, a video on your platform, but I don't have an account. I'll be able to view the video and then I'm 
which displayed the ad, but then in order for the customized advertisements or in order for me to be able to choose which ads I see, I would, on Veracity, I would need to sign up, create an account and then fund the account with the tokens and then decide, uh, like what my, what my ad preferences are in terms of like what types of ads I want to see. And, and I guess I would have the option to view an ad or, or, or decline to view an ad. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that from the. Yeah. So it, it depends on the, the individual creator. Now, in, in some ways it's, it's similar. So if you've got an account, there'll be a creator might put their videos up for free and you may earn a very reward for watching that content. Um, so that's something we're actually doing. Our, our first application running on the blockchain is already our, um, Genesis player, which essentially does airdrops if you, if you watch video content. So that's a way that people can earn by watching these videos. It's, it's the first bit we're testing this with. Now, obviously in that situation, the person who's putting that video up wants to reward that person with tokens to watch their content. And that could be because they're an advertiser. It could be because they're a brand, because they're trying to get more fans, any, any, any reason. Then you've also got free content where they might say, Hey, I'm, I'm just putting this up for free and I want, I want to generate donations. Then there's pay-per-view models where they won't let you watch unless you pay a, a fixed fee um, to watch that video or monthly subscription models, any any of those options. Now, on the monthly subscription models and pay-per-view models or donations even, that's where advertising comes in. So you can sit there and say, hey, I, I want to fund my account, so I want to buy some Vera and put it into my account so I can access this content. Or you might say, I'll watch some adverts in order to earn the Vera to do that or any, any number of situations like that. So it's really creating the choice on the viewer of what commercial relationship they want to have within the system. And really the, the goal was to get the, the value proposition and the value exchange as direct as possible between each participant. So in an ad funded video, it's a very indirect value exchange. The viewer gives value to the advertiser by watching their ad. The advertiser gives value to the platform by paying them and the pay, the pay, the platform gives the creator a revenue share for their value of giving them the content and the creator gives content to the viewer. There's, it's a very complex step where no one really knows what's going on. Whereas in Veracity, the, the advertiser and the viewer are right next to each other. The advertiser rewards the viewer for watching their advert and for their attention. The viewer rewards the creator on the terms the creator has selected. So donations, pay-per-view subscriptions in return for getting content they like. Mm. It's a, it's a very, simple, direct process, which one eliminates intermediaries, which as we know, can eat up a lot of costs, but it also makes sure that all the participants really understand the value that they are both uh, providing to the system and getting out of the system. So Veracity has uh, an economics uh, white paper or yellow paper, I guess, document. And you guys worked with the Center for Crypto Economics for this what is the process and tell me a little bit about the folks over at the Center for Crypto Economics and yeah, did so you just outsource that to them? Yeah, so that's headed up by uh, Dr. Christian Jag, who um very, very, um, very, very talented economist. And really what we're doing when we're looking at this token economy is that actually the tokenomics and how the value flows within this economy is absolutely integral to building a, a good long-term system and making sure those different pieces work together. So You've obviously got the, the token holders themselves. You've got the creators. You've got the viewers. You've got the advertisers. How does this all move around? How does it work? How do things like um, inflation rate come in, burn rate come in? How do you how do you manage that economy? Um, because that's essentially what it what it becomes in this utility token moving around. Now we saw a lot of benefit of going going to the center of cryptonomics to to really evaluate our proposition and work with us to 
get it to a point where it makes sense. So as you said, our economics paper we've got on our site goes into a lot of details about the testing they did. And essentially their testing is they stress test the economy. What what would happen if we did this? What are the likely outcomes? So even, even simple things of um, how the the inflation rate would be calculated within the economy. Why would it be calculated that way? What if it's a percent higher, a percent lower? What effect does that have on both the growth, the stability, and all these different factors? Really trying to evaluate what is what is going to be the best long-term solution for the the economy, for veracity, for our token holders, and for the entire system that we're building. Yeah, I, re- I encourage any of our listeners to take a look at it. It's fascinating uh, analysis of. Uh... Make sure you've had a few cups of coffee, though. I'd advise you. I've, I've read it a few times, and it, it's thick reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of uh, formulas and, and graphs on here, but it's uh, very interesting. And I, I'll include a link below to the crypto economics uh, folks, their website, and uh, the papers. And they're also posted up on uh, Veracity's website if anyone wants to take a look at them as well. So, Adam, thank you for joining us today. Uh, so, why don't you let our listeners know where they can learn more about you and some upcoming dates that you guys have? Perfect. So yeah, you can find out more about the project at veracity.io. Um, we're very active on all our social channels. So we've got a big Telegram group, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Medium blog, where we've got a lot of content out about what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. So any questions, let us know. Um, in terms of big dates coming up, the, the next big one is we're doing a, a lightning sale on the 30th of October, which is just a 24-hour uh, reverse price uh, sale. Um, so make sure to check that out. All the details are right at the top of our website. Great. My guest on the show today has been Adam of Veracity. Thanks for joining us, and we'd love to have you on again uh, soon to discuss further. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time, and thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bounty Zero X podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast below. Check out BountyZeroX.io, the number one bounty hunting platform where you can complete work and earn cryptocurrency. Please consult your professional financial investment and tax advisors before making any investment in initial coin offerings. BountyZeroX does not provide investment or financial advice and does not endorse or recommend investment in any ICOs advertised on the BountyZeroX podcast or website.